I'm Michael Sears at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. We're continuing our discussion about the new NE203 course here at the Naval Academy. I'm joined by the course director of that new ethics course, Professor Mike Good. Mike is a retired surface warfare officer who has taught ethics at the Naval Academy for over eight years. Mike, let's jump right into this. Can you describe and tell us what character is all about and also tell us why this is so important as part of this course? That's a great question. This block is important to our course in particular because we're not just trying to graduate students from college. We're placing students into a profession where they're expected to have a certain kind of character or they're expected to be trustworthy and people that we can count on to do the right thing because we're giving them lots of authority and power to cause destruction and and really we're putting lives in their hands and so if we can't trust them to make the right decision there then we don't want them frankly in these positions of power and authority and so we have this block here in particular to help shape their understanding of how they can grow in character and how they can kind of self-diagnose themselves on where they might be failing and how they might seek help to grow. So the overall structure of this block takes the form of it's five weeks uh, and we sort of set up an introductory block where they, they get some theoretical like understanding of what virtue and character and and these sorts of concepts are. And then we we have selected specific virtues that are relevant, most relevant maybe, to their role uh, as a future naval officer. So we've picked things like obedience and um, courage and things like this that you would imagine uh, military officers would need to be able to uh, exemplify and model to their subordinates. And so it's kind of like uh, other professions that count on uh, certain things like medical profession or the legal profession. They all have certain virtues of that profession. In the military, in the military context, there are virtues that we expect and want to find in our, in our military officers. And so we're trying to drill down and concentrate on those since we don't really have a lot of time to go over these concepts with them. So we start with Aristotle in order to lay a foundation for how we want them to think about virtue, character, and habituation. Well, let me jump in there because, uh, you know, Aristotle had a lot of good points, but uh, his views on slavery, his views on women, uh, isn't that problematic? Well, it can be. Uh, Aristotle had uh, some very interesting, uh, really wrong ideas about Uh, non-Greek people did not uh, have a concept of human dignity or universal human rights that we hold today. And in fact, that we teach in block two, they, the Greeks really looked at people more functionally, like what, what can you do? And your worth comes out of what you can do. And in their cultural context, uh, you know, women and slaves were not worthy of, they weren't able to, in their eyes, do the kinds of things that Greek men could do. Um, So though he was wrong about this, um, we can sort of import our ideas of of human dignity and um, 
quality. And we can see that the sort of stuff that he was talking about, how folks form habits and how they grow in virtue is really generally applicable to humans and not just Greek names. So, so what is a broadly Aristotelian view of character? Primarily, the what we want to Aristotle had this great insight that there's part of us that is that is that we can form ourselves. There are certain things that that we can't change, right? I mean, we don't have wings. We don't, you know, we don't, we can't breathe underwater. There are just certain things that we we can't change about ourselves as humans. But there are certain things that we can. We can learn to speak other languages. We can learn to do. Uh, um, we can learn to drive a car, even though he, you know, would not have used that example. But we can learn to do things and train ourselves to do things that uh, we weren't necessarily born with, that aren't part of our, say, nature. And so he thinks that um, we can learn to be virtuous, learn to act out of sort of a second nature, which is uh, sort of a deep habituation. And so he, he actually thinks that virtues and, and the Greek word erite, which we translate as virtue today, really means excellence. So he's asking, what are these like human excellencies that humans could develop, right? And, you know, things like being really strong would be an excellency. But he's more curious about like, how do we live life excellently? And it might be that, you know, in certain cases, you know, maybe you're a special special warfare type person or um, that you really or a Marine uh, and you need to be very strong to do your job. Well, that would be part of an, the virtues that would be associated with that job. But if we apply this generally to humans across the board, there's certain uh, we would use the term moral or like how would you live your life in relation to other people well. There's moral excellencies there. And so we get the word virtue actually from the Latin word virtus, and that means a strength. And so both this idea of like this strength and this excellence kind of come together uh, in this idea that we can be um, and learn to be excellent and strong uh, in certain capacities. So for Aristotle, virtue wasn't just having a particular disposition or a habit. It was being able to act out of that. So action in accordance with excellence or with virtue is what Aristotle is looking for. And so we have virtues that have been sort of universally recognized over the last couple thousand years that people are talking about this courage temperance, justice, wisdom, these are known as the cardinal virtues because nearly everybody talks about those as being part of the set of virtuous human activity. But there are others. I mean, Aristotle mentions wit, for instance, as being a virtue. And I think those of us who have been around in the military uh, or, or even just familiar with the military can understand that, hey, sometimes there's a lot of, of tension and a, a lot of stress going on. And a joke at the right time can really help everybody like regain their, their heads about what's going on. Or just even a thoughtful response. I, I brought to mind the 
scene, spoiler alert from um, Saving Private Ryan, where they they capture a German gunner on the hill and they have to decide um, whether to let him go because they can't take him with them or to kill him. And the clearly the, the captain, played by Tom Hanks, is he doesn't want to kill him. Um, but everybody's arguing. They're getting really heated over it. And so just at the right time, he inserts a story about what he used to do in the States because they had been speculating about this for months. And so he like completely breaks apart the, the tension by a well-timed, um, unrelated sort of story. And that's kind of what, what wit is about. Well, that, that's an excellence. And so um, we teach this idea that um, you can learn to do uh, and learn to become the kind of person who will just be able to act this way when the situation demands and whatever this way means for that situation. And so in order to learn to do that, you have to practice certain things that are sort of unrelated. For instance, um, if you want to learn how to keep your knees up as you're running down the field in football, you run through tires or you run through ropes um, where you do drills to keep your knees raised. Um, and keep your feet coming up so that you can't be tackled easily. But you wouldn't actually run through ropes or run through tires in a football game. You would do that before the game in practice, particularly to teach yourself a particular skill so that in the game, you don't have to think about it. You just do it. And we've all developed these, whether we've been athletes or not, um, whether we have learned how to ride a bike, whether we know how to drive a car. Honestly, even learning the alphabet is this kind of thing. It empowers us to do things that we couldn't do had we not put that knowledge into us, into our bodies in a particular way. And so as you're driving a car, you don't really think too much about that you need to brake, that you need to accelerate, that you need to do all of these things to drive. You're just paying attention to everything around you and reacting to it in an appropriate way because you've habituated the sort of skill that you need to do that. And so Aristotle has this idea with respect to virtue too, that you don't learn how to do these things by trying harder. You learn how to do them by training yourself. And so you put yourself, you apprentice yourself to people who know how to do this, to learn how to intentionally act in the right manner, the right time, the right emotions. And this readiness to act or really to react is what character is. And that's the broadly Aristotelian view that we are trying to teach our students. So do you cover anything else in the first week? Yes, actually, we have, we have, we cover a lot. So um, one of the most unique uh, distinguishing parts of this course, and probably the thing that sets it apart even more from what you would get at a civilian institution are these reflection papers that we have developed. And what we're trying to do is help students, I don't know, run a tire drill or do thing, learn how to drive a car, so to speak, through these little reflections and maybe an exercise that goes along with that um, to develop and to give them an idea of what maybe a character drill or a moral drill would look like so that they could uh, 
insert that into their daily life and try to practice these things so that in the moment when they're, when they're confronted with tough character decisions, that won't really be tough anymore because they've built those muscles up, so to speak. And so the first week we assign them a reflection paper that is to be done uh, in silence and in solitude. And so what, what we ask them to do is spend three 30 minute periods alone by themselves with their phones off and as much as they can find some distance from other people uh, in the crowded area in the Naval Academy, they are to go away and unplug and think about these certain questions that, that we ask them. So we ask them first to think about who they really want to be in the sense of in 10 years from now, how do you, how would you describe that person? And not like with the extrinsic external sort of things, like I'm going to own a nice car I'm going to have this kind of salary. I'm going to have this kind of job. That's important in, t- in a respect, but not for this. What we want them to think about is how do people, how would people see me? How would I want to see myself? Am I the kind of person who's there for my friends? Am I the kind of person who's reliably like treating people in, in a just way? Am I the kind of person that people want to be their boss, that people want to work for them? Am I this kind of person? And what would that look like and describe it? And so we ask them to really think hard about this. And then in the next two periods of reflection, we ask them to bring this back into their minds and say, look, this is, remember, this is what you thought you wanted to be. Now think about all of the things in your life right now that are causing you anxiety, whether it's homework, whether it's, you know, the, the, relationship with your roommate that's going south, whether it's the sort of you being in trouble with with your company for some reason, whatever it is that's causing you anxiety, ask yourself, are the things that you're worried about the things that are going to help you become that kind of person? Or are they not? And if they're not, then maybe we need to reevaluate why you're anxious about them, and maybe you shouldn't be. And so we're trying to give them the skills to ask the kind of questions that are like, look, where am I really? And what are the things that are pulling on me that I need to either like let go or whether I need to focus more intentionally on and direct and solve this problem because it's going to affect me for years to come? And so we, we ask them to do this and they, they tend they come away from this. Like, you know, you're asking me to spend 90 minutes of my very busy, very scheduled life to go think thoughts. And they come back from this uh, almost universally grateful <laughs> that we made them go think about these things. Cause like, you know, this is the first time I've really thought about this since I came to the Academy. But these sorts of things about who they want to be and these aspirations, that a lot of them are brought to the Naval Academy because of these things. And this is sort of an exercise to snap them back into place um, in a sense, or at least give them a realistic idea of where they are right now. 
And so each, each week we have opportunities for these kinds of reflection papers. We only really require four. Um, and it's sort of at instructor discretion, uh, what they think their particular class needs and what they themselves are comfortable uh, with or think is most important. Uh, but we have probably 10 of them that are developed instructors can use that correspond to the material given that week. And so the silence and solitude is the one that is uh, that everybody has to do, and it's introduced in the first week at the end of this to coincide with Aristotle's understanding that we can change who we are with intentional practice. So in the second week of the block, it covers pride, humility, ritual, and obedience. Why do you cover those topics in the same week? Right. At first glance, they, they look, in some sense, a bit unrelated, but they, they really go together well, we found. And so what we will do is we sort of ground the week in this know, almost debate about pride and humility. We use two different authors from kind of two different perspectives to do this. We use Aristotle. He holds pride up as the sort of capstone or, or paragon of virtue, the prideful man. And it's a, it is a particular way of translating that. It's really magnanimous or great-souled person. But this person has you know lots of honor coming to them and sort of expects to be honored in particular ways and stuff. And so there is this element of, of how we look at pride. And so we contrast that with C.S. Lewis, who has a chapter on pride uh, in one of his books, uh, Mere Christianity. And he says that pride is the worst thing. It's competitive and it damages every other kind of, of relationship, every other kind of virtue that you have. If you are a prideful person, it's just going to corrode all of that stuff. And he sort of makes a case that really the paragon virtue ought to be humility. That is, you don't necessarily think of yourself as first. You always look to what others need and how you can help them. And so, strangely, in the military context, we kind of want both of those things. We want somebody who understands their place in the world and that they are due, as a military officer, certain kinds of honor and respect. And yet we want them to interact with other people in ways that they're servants, that they're putting other people first. And so there, we have this really interesting dialogue with the students about what this might look like for them in their future career. And ultimately what it comes down to is they have to have a realistic understanding of who they are, a self-understanding. And it's only when you can really understand yourself well that you can understand your role with respect to the community at large. And this is where ritual comes in, because rituals, and uh, Professor Hedal has written a really interesting piece where he brings in Confucian ethics, which Kongzi, the Chinese name for Confucius, Kongzi was very interested in all of the community playing their proper role with respect to everybody. And that's how that's how the community itself grows to be great. Everybody has their place, and you learn certain rituals that the community practices together, and these rituals reinforce your place in it. 
So for instance, in the military, we have many different rituals from changing of command to the way that we have plebes swear the oath to uh, signing two for sevens in a way as a ritual to daily rituals like morning and evening colors or saluting senior officers or even calling attention on deck when you start a class. Calling attention on deck is an interesting ritual that says, okay, now it's time for you to respect my authority as an instructor and for you to pay attention to me. And it's also a reminder to me that I am responsible for your time to not waste it and to build into that time something that's worthwhile and helpful to you. And so this ritual communicates both to the subordinate and to the superior that they each have roles with respect to one another that they need to play well. And it's really only if you understand yourself well that you can come into understanding where you're at with respect to everybody else. And when you understand that well, you know when it's appropriate to obey and when it's not. And so when somebody is exercising proper authority, proper moral authority, that is in line with their respective role in in the institution, then there is a virtue that you can practice to obey those persons, even when you might do it differently or might disagree with it. Now, there are exceptions to this where you have to recognize when somebody's not acting in their role. And this would be like delivering an illegal order or an immoral order, something like this. They would be stepping outside of their authority of that role, and you would be wise to not obey that. But when they're acting from their role in the authority of that role properly, then it is always a virtue to obey them, even when you disagree with how they're doing it. And so all of these things sort of go together to understand where you are where the community is, what the community is doing together, and how everybody works together in this community, this military institution, to accomplish a mission or a goal. So what kind of reflections do you have the students write during this week? Well, instructors have a couple different options that they could take here. I'll talk about one of them. That's uh, the uh, gratitude, um, reflection, and practice, where we ask them to uh, think about Um, who has helped them get to where they are. Really, this is sort of a counter to hubris or the bad kind of pride that we we want them to understand that they didn't pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They had a lot of help along the way. And so we asked them to pick out somebody to write a thank you letter to um, where we, we want them to send it, but we don't require it. And we don't actually even require them to show us the thank you letter, uh, but we do want them to reflect on it and sort of uh, help pull in the material from that week to really drive home to them the fact that they need other people and that they can't, they're not just so great in and of themselves, um, but that they need, they need other people and they depend on other people. And that's never really going to change. That's got to be a very interesting uh, piece for uh, a young midshipman to write. Um, I hope to go back and look at that uh, years, years in the future. You know, the, the following week, you cover stoicism and you concentrate on the virtue of temperance, basically. So first of all, why temperance on a list of military virtues? Because 
you would think that kind of goes in the wrong way. And second, what makes stoicism the right topic to address it? Great, great. So I'm going to give a quick example of something that, that happens to midshipmen um, when that really would happen to all of us, but it just happens to them because of where they're at. They're in between classes and they're walking down the sidewalk through the main sort of quad of the yard stribbling on stribbling way. And they get behind a group of midshipmen who are walking slower than them. And they start to get really upset about how slow they're walking. And so they, they start getting angry about this and it affects them so much that they're still angry about it for the first 10 minutes of the next class that they get to. And so they're not really paying attention in class. They're just sitting there stewing about how long it took them to get there or that they didn't have time to go to the head before they went to class or they didn't have time to whatever it was that they wanted to do. And temperance is the virtue that enables them to uh, control and to change their emotional response in situations like this. If they were temperate, they would be able to immediately recognize that they were acting and thinking about things in a way that was fostering anger. And they could think to themselves, oh, I need to change the way that I'm thinking about And then they would say, you know what? These folks in front of me probably just got out of a class. They don't have anywhere else to go. They don't see me back here. They don't understand that I want to do X, Y, and Z before I get to class. And so I shouldn't be angry at them. Perhaps I should just say, excuse me, can I get by? Or something like this. So as a military officer, if you're in the heat of it, and we give them a really interesting reading where they see a leader who is, does not like to be questioned, who is constantly angry, who's constantly snapping at people, and this completely shuts down any sort of communication with him from his people. And he could not control that anger. And this is something that if you're going to walk out uh, into a situation, a combat situation, or even just on a ship where there's major safety concerns going on, and people are afraid to bring you information because they know that you're going to yell at them, then you are not doing your job. So not only are you not doing your job, you're just not very likable. And we're not trying to make midshipmen necessarily into likable people. We, we hope that happens, and there are many of them who are likable. But what we want to do is to show them that if they cannot get control of their emotions in appropriate ways, then they are going to be the kind of person who is very mercurial and people are unable to anticipate how they're going to react. And so if you remember back to elementary school, for some of us, this is a long way, but the teachers that were the scariest were the ones who you never knew who you were going to get that day. Were they going to be super nice or are they going to be super scary? And the same thing goes for military officers. 
are you going to get the super nice person or are you going to get the crazy person depending on the day? So part of this is they need to develop the kind of emotional state that is steady, that people know what they're getting. Because if they don't know what they're getting, then they're not going to bring you important information. Um, and there's, there's other consequences to this too. But that's primarily why we think temperance is so important uh, for a military officer is they have to be able to regulate their emotional responses to things. And so we, for this week, for instance, we, we have a, a, a reflection that we would help midshipmen do this uh, or learn to do this a little bit. And we ask them to fast from social media for a whole week. Um, well, five days. And it has to be over a weekend. So a lot of their liberty time is uh, they, can't, they can't partake in their favorite social media. And the way I talk to them about this is that whichever one they're thinking, oh, no, not that. That's the one they need to pick. And so they pick this and uh, they go five days with it. And the, the sort of responses that we get back uh, are, are really interesting. I was reaching for my phone for three days straight and I, I finally had to delete the app like because I kept reaching for my phone. It was just they recognize that they've habituated this kind of thing. If they can recognize that they can like do without certain things uh, and they could not forever, just for a little bit, what they come to know and what they come to experience is uh, they really understand where they are with respect to that thing. And so some people are like, you know what? I don't think I use it too much. I'm going to go back to the way I was doing it. And then you have other students who are like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea how much I was using this. I was able to work out so much more. I was able to read more. And so I'm going to I'm going to try to continue to not be on whatever this is. Um, and so we find that that's just a really helpful exercise for them to come to know themselves in an important way. That sounds like a pretty heavy lift, but I think uh, quiet is something that, uh, I hate to be too funny here, but makes a lot of noise. So I, I see what the media fast is all about. Let me, that leaves us with two more weeks. Uh, and I, and I know uh, in, in the first of these last two weeks, you talk about courage. I'm curious, uh, how do you have students practice courage? Yeah, actually, this is, I think, the most difficult week and we as a, as curriculum developers have come up with a couple different ways to try to do this. And I think the way that has worked best so far is to uh, try to help them experience um, courage through the actions of someone else. Um, it's really difficult to say like, Hey, I want you midshipmen to go and put yourself in, in, you know, your life in danger and then see how you react and practice this. It's really difficult. Um, there are other kinds of dangers that we could have them go to. Like there's a lot of social risk uh, that they, that they have uh, at the Naval Academy and just generally in their, in their social circles, even outside of the Naval Academy, uh, there's a lot of pressure to act and behave certain ways or to not say certain things. But what we, what we have come down to is that we've just, we ask them to think through, to read through uh, a citation, a Medal of Honor citation, um, usually somebody who's associated with the Naval Academy, if we can, uh, and we ask them to sort of walk through maybe 
what that person was thinking and intending and feeling, and then try to reflect on what sorts of things might that person have done uh, beforehand to get to the point where they were able to just go do that. Um, because we're trying to give them the idea that these things didn't just happen. These people weren't just like plopped down and and they weren't just born courageous. They had to do things to become like that. They had to act in the face of risk to themselves little by little until they developed the kind of muscles that would just allow them to react instantly to these things. And so we asked them to do that, uh, to reflect on this. So this is one of the few papers that we don't actually ask them to go do anything, but we ask them to try to put themselves in someone's place and think about how that person was thinking, which is really important to developing virtue, is trying to figure out how this exemplar of a particular virtue is thinking and feeling and desiring. Professor Good, this brings us to the last week, uh, where the course covers resilience. Why is resilience a virtue, and why cover it here? Excellent. Well, we're covering it here uh, because there is a, a natural bridge between character and um, the and just war, which is the the block four of this class. So this is the bridge week um, where uh, we talk about resilience, which is the sort of habitual action that we can we can develop to counteract uh, moral injury. Um, and moral injury is uh, a word that gets thrown around. It's kind of like uh, it's closely associated with PTSD, though it's distinct in important ways where PTSD is uh, pretty much a, a victim diagnosis, i.e. something happens to you. And uh, you now have to deal with the trauma of that event. Whereas moral injury, while it might happen that way, a lot of times happens where you yourself are the perpetrator. Or maybe you just witnessed something. So you're the one who, who shot somebody who you shouldn't have shot. Or you're the one um, who witnessed somebody else do this thing. And you weren't necessarily the victim of it. And so it is different from PTSD proper. And in fact, because it's a moral injury, it requires moral repair. And so we talk a little bit about how people recover from breaking their character. Moral injury is a severe case of this, but they probably encounter instances of this every day where they don't live up to what they want to. And so this is the sort of week that helps them understand there are ways to come back from character mistakes, from moral error. Uh, and then more severely, there's ways that they can develop now that will protect them from the most severe kinds of character errors and mistakes, or maybe just apparent mistakes that aren't really mistakes, but look like it. For instance, this week we cover this roadside shooting where this young Marine, Sergeant Sarah, uh, ended up shooting an Iraqi woman who was approaching a checkpoint. And he followed all of the rules. He got everything right legally. It was all like he didn't get charged with a bad shooting or anything like this. And in fact, like even looking at it morally, 
he probably did the right thing based on the circumstances. And yet he blamed himself and he thought that he was pretty much unforgivable for killing this innocent woman. It turned out she wasn't really an enemy. Um, she was pulling out a white flag when she got shot. And he really struggled with this. Uh, and as far as I know, still does. But his understanding of that event was false. And so part of the, the thing that you do to recover from moral injury, if it's just apparent, is you have to start seeing yourself realistically. And this goes back to some of the habits we were, we were talking about during the Pride and Humility Week. And you have to see how the things around you were maybe different than what you thought. And so part of this is just, just getting kind of reality right, in a sense. But there's more to this. Um, in fact, especially for folks who actually do injure their character in ways where they're, they think they're unforgivable, maybe they are unforgivable in some sense, but working through certain ideas um, of, of moral resilience, which is ultimately learning how to move past or get through situations that are, that are difficult, uh, morally difficult. And so there are things uh, like working through what actually happened, coming to see your own role in it, if needed, taking some action to admit your guilt, to apologize, to try to make it right in a sense, maybe uh, forgiving another person or asking for forgiveness yourself uh, and these kinds of things. And it's not, it sounds very uh, mushy here, but really forgiveness is just, I'm not going to hold you accountable for this thing that I think you did. I'm letting that go. You're forgiven. And so it's, it's teaching these students that how to reconcile in small ways, uh, maybe with one another, and then they can, grow those muscles so that they could maybe do that in bigger ways. I can see those as very powerful reflections. Professor Mike Good, thank you for spending time with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Michael. 